You're listening to Top of Disney Radio, 90.1 FM Casino, British Columbia. Music from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You guys know tomatoes are momentous occasion. You can't deny the significance of the pathetic fallacy of rain shutting down a lane and the one road out here to our tiny community. I'm not talking about Donald Trump securing big gains at the ballot box tonight, although that certainly is making waves. I'm talking about the fact that, guess what? We've hit episode 52. That's right. We've done a year of Frequency Horizon broadcasts and podcasts. So we're going to take you on a sonic journey to Oregon. Interview the winner of the Nelson Classic, Classic Big Wave, wave competition. competition. Learn a little bit about the history of surfing at the break in the process. And hey, since it's election night, we're going to treat you to an in-depth conversation with an American who might help you make sense of tonight's political movements down south and give you breaking news. As it comes in, this is a frequency horizon. As we always do, we like to start it off with a good one. You've heard this one before, I mean, it's come out quite recently. And Denmos himself is releasing a brand new album, so check out this Denmos and Cascade track, Beneath With Me, featuring Skylar Gray. Something to wallow in. Something to enjoy if you're feeling a little bit down about just how many votes Donald Trump is pulling in tonight.
just a quick one there. Two minutes and seven seconds. It's the Rain of Us and Ooh La La. Remix. And then next up, just keep rolling into the evening with us. It's DJ Shadow. Another one of his new album. What a killer, hey? What a killer album. Almost can't pick what song to play. There's too many good ones. It's Bergstrand. Featuring Nils. Bergschrand, that's German, for mountain cleft. It's a crest that forms, the moving glacier ice separates from the stagnant ice, cliff and above. It is often a serious obstacle for mountaineers, sometimes abbreviate Bergschrand. 
this room. And it seems like Trump is overhauling all the obstacles that he needed to reach that magic number in the electoral votes. Not everyone's getting happy about that. People are stunned. It's all unfolding before our eyes, and of course, it could all change in a heartbeat. The New York Times says, in employing their classic mid-headline comma, the New York Times says, Trump takes Florida, closing in on a stunning upset. It's quite red. It's a big online story near nytimes.com. Just let that flow through your head for a second. We drift into the rest of the evening. We got a lot planned for you on this show. We talked to Kyle. He's an American. That'll give us a glimpse into fellow citizens, what they're thinking, what's going on, and why this could have happened, what it means. Last thing to Maxim, you, you met him last time if you tuned in. The young reporter that want to go out and figure some things out, luckily we have that report to play tonight, so that's later on. Of course, we did Nell Scott read classic report, so to come, but for now, Taya?
That's what I get of this one, Kygo and Labyrinth. Right 
when door closes and another opens but it's hard to let go when your heart's broken i give you my trust can you give me your word come take my Just run out of Trump Tower, or at least three of them. 
is referring to the Trump strength. It might be four when the prospect of a clean sweep of Congress sinks in. And what better to listen to after hearing a quote like that and thinking about the global economic flows than this one is in danger from Prolux because that's what we're facing. You know it.
This Renegade Snares, and of course, this is the high contrast.
choke out of the blue from someone that you may be familiar with from Bill Tien. Pretty frequently broadcasting in the past months. A year, I guess you should say, since it's you know a year of broadcasting that we're up to now. Wow. Well, we went down to Chota Pass with this guy and got a chance to see him surf big waves. But this past weekend, he did something he's never done before. I'm talking about Jake Fishman heading up the Nelm Scott Beach Classic. It's a big wave competition that featured 30 plus foot waves. And some pretty intense action. We'll, we'll just get into this clip here because uh, I don't want to ruin the surprise anymore than I already have. But if you're thinking about sticking around for this interview, just know that it delves into a little bit about Oregon surfing history. Stay on the line while your call is completed. Long distance charges may apply. What's up, man? You're calling from uh, Frequency Horizon. How are you doing, man? How's it going? Um, I'm just on the road right now. Just out of the water from Maverick up in Northern California. And now just making my way down um, on the I-5 south, coming back to L.A. So you called me last week and you said that you're about to head up all the way to Oregon, which I actually visited quite recently. And you had something that you were aiming to do. And what was it that you had just learned that you were joining to be part of? So about a month ago, I signed up online for this, uh, they call it an uninvitational, which means it's a free sign-up surf competition, strictly for big wave surf. One of my buddies told me about it, and I would be able to grab the final 50 spots. The whole gist of it was that they were going to give us a three-day notice before um, the competition went on, because, you know, they have to play in four cats, and it has to be... Um, a minimum of 30 feet of at that break in order for the contest to run. 30 feet? And, um, That's huge. Yeah, 30, the competition has ran 10 out of the 12 years, so it's really consistent, which is a rare thing for a big wave event. And, you know, I was sitting in the library on Tuesday and opened my computer to an email and said that the competition was on Friday and I had two days to get up to Oregon. And I packed my bag that night and headed up there and drove all night. Wow, now I know you've been surfing for years and years and you have a residence up there in uh, you know, Hawaii, you've seen some of the biggest waves, but is this something you do quite often, is, is go to these sorts of competitions or, or how often do you kind of participate in these sorts of events? This was the first big wave competition I've ever seen. Oh wow, so this is this is a big this is kind of a big deal for you, eh? Exactly, man. It was my first new way surf competition at a place and at a spot where I knew nothing about and I've never practiced before. So I, I actually had the opportunity to head down to Oregon, you know, not long ago, a few weeks back, and just happened to be there at the time of a storm and it did look pretty gnarly, like it was kind of scary because I was seeing like power lines surging and you know, just things can get pretty intense at that part of the coast. Like I was even watching uh, the forecast over the last few days and seeing a similar storm kind of battering the coast. What was it like for you to be out there amongst those kind of giant waves? So it was, you know, every single time, well, this is the first uh, big wave surf session I've had all winter. So any session that you have, whether it's, you know, down in California, Mexico, or up north in Oregon, you always have those 
you know, first wave hitters where you don't know, you, you know, you remember how to stand up and go down a 30 foot wave, or if you know how to hold your breath to catch black water. Um, so once, you know, once I got that first wave, it really kind of eased the tension a little bit. I was a little bit nervous for, you know, like a new spot first time to be out there, but um, I have been out in bigger, so I have to say the competition was a little bit smaller than everyone expected, a little bit more manageable for me, and I was able to kind of go for broke in a sense, where I can really test out the spot and how heavy it is to really push it There he is. How you doing? Hey, pretty good, and you? Oh, good. We're kind of on a little motorcycle ride today. Enjoying the weather. As you can hear in the background. Uh, what's your name, yeah. by the way? John Force. And what's your title? Uh, founder, director, I guess, of the Nelscott Reef Big Wave Classic. What was your intention when you originally founded the competition? Well, there's this resource that had been out there forever, you know, a huge wave, half a mile offshore of a, you know, town of 10,000 or whatever. And of course, surfers always looked at and, you know, always wondered if it was rideable or how big it was. So I guess I was the first and finally got a Zodiac and went out there to check it out and realized it's a world-class wave right in the middle of town for the most part. Wow, that must have been something else, and then you wanted to share that experience, yeah. it sounds like, with uh, with other folks, eh? Yeah, yeah, I had some, I recruited a couple of pros from Santa Cruz, Peter Mel and Adam, Adam and Plogle to come up and, and try it out. You know, they both were kind of skeptical that I was full of shish, but they finally came out. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't pulling any legs, so. First day, it was probably 30, 35 feet when we surfed it, and it was, they were just, they were really, really good. They they were surfing 30 foot waves like it was four foot in Malibu. I got a few waves. I got I got I got my ass handed to me, but you know I, I found out I could take the beating on a 30 foot wave, so that was kind of a victory in in itself. When was that? What year? Do you remember? I think it was '95. No kidding, and it's just grown yeah. from there, eh? Then it took three years to get any tow surfer team to come up and and try it, and then they did, and then. I think another three years. Every contest is different, you know, from showcasing certain aspects of certain surfers' abilities to, you know, just trying to create an atmosphere of development as well, or just bringing attention to a community. What were you hoping to accomplish when you put together the Nelscott Classic? Well, number one, I'm a, if I'm not surfing myself, I'm the, I'm the biggest fan of good surfing. And I wanted to see the best surfers in the world on this quality wave. And my my preconceptions were uh, solidified when they all came and gave it rave reviews and said it, there's it's not sec it's not sec playing second fiddle to anywhere else in the world. It's it's the real deal. And they're all calling it the high the the best performance big wave in the world. You can actually play with the lip a little bit without getting killed. It's uh, it's not just a run for your life, you know. Get down the face, try and try and finish the ride, but they can do a lot of cutbacks and 
and uh, cut back into the pocket to make bottom turns and a lot of things that, that are just so scary. Like at places like Jaws and, and Mavericks, where you just sometimes you're not worried about performing, you just want to survive. So uh, anyway, the, the, the nickname that, that, that everybody that, that, that's written it, they call it Sunset on Steroids. Sunset is a, is a, a, a really good big wave in, in Hawaii. Uh, but it, it's limited, its size is limited to maybe 15, 20 feet. So they're calling the sunset on steroids, which is, you know, breaks like sunset, but it's twice as big. This portion of the contest, which took place this weekend, was sort of an amateur contest, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a, it was a pro-am. It was, you know, it's basically, uh, we call it the invitational because anybody can be in it as long as they're competent enough. And we screen everybody. We don't just indiscriminately let anybody say that anybody that says they're a big wave rider because I don't want to have anybody's deaths on my hands. So. The top six from this contest get an automatic seed into the pro contest, which is the next one. And the next contest is the Mel Scott Reef. Invitational Pro, and we'll have two divisions. We have the stand-up paddle division and the prone division. And I have the six top crossover athletes in the world on standby to come to the contest, and they're going to do one heat of prone paddling and one heat of stand-up paddling. And the, the highest combined score of the two disciplines uh, gets crowned the kingfish or the ultimate big wave guy or whatever we haven't come up with a name yet but and then we got like a ten thousand dollar purse for that contest yeah so the spot that we heard that is really interesting the only way for you to get out there is by a jet ski so no one can literally like get their surfboard and paddle out it's really far out and the waves crash on the shore so heavy that you can't get out there without being just to be helping them. So that at first was, you know, kind of like the first time I've ever experienced something like that. And then when they threw us out there, the whole way the competition worked, instead of doing bounds, like finals, semifinals, we threw all the competitors out at the same time, and basically we searched for four hours. And whoever got the top three waves, you know, some of them. So you basically score on the size of the wave, your commitment, if you do any turns or maneuvers, how long you're over. Highest score on all three waves. It's not like two out of three. Like, I know, it's not like they drop your worst wave. It's like literally you have to do great on your top three waves. Exactly. So I got about maybe six waves in the competition, but they only counted three. They only counted three of my ten. You got to make everyone count then in that case. I mean, it was really funny. The first wave that I ever caught at that break, I totally threw fell and just ate it. And just like, that was pretty much in my mind was like the worst start to the competition. But it kind of helped me in the sense where I fell and I knew how heavy the wave was, so I wasn't as scared to go for bigger waves. Now that I knew that I survived like the first big wipeout, you know, I caught my sixth wave. I thought I got a pretty solid one, but especially with big wave surfing, you don't know, and you can't really see, you know, if you're looking behind, 
let someone uh, catch the wave. You can't really see what they do. So it's kind of a little bit of a mystery. And my buddy that I went up with, we didn't know if we got last place or if we won. It was kind of like, all right, well, we'll see what happens when the judges announce winners because I literally had no idea who won. So um, the competition started at about 9 a.m. and finished around 12, 12, 13 a.m. The first person I thought was my biggest contender ended up getting fourth place. We all surrounded each other like, oh, man, I thought this guy won it. So we have no clue how the judges rated up then, you know. I, at that moment, I thought I wasn't going to wait at all. And it was getting more nerve-wracking. And then I heard my best buddy, he got second. So I was really happy for him. He was surprised for all so happy for him. Well, they're going for it. <laughs> you know, it was a competition, so you saw the best of everybody, you know. Did, are there any surfers that stood out to you from their performance or that you kind of got on your radar that you'd go, geez, you know what, glad yeah, we could have him up yeah, here. Jake, Jake Fishman got first. He's really, really good. He's a younger guy from uh, San Diego. He goes to San Diego State, I believe. And uh, he did really, he just kicked butt. He did really good. And then um, he came down to, you know, first place and they called my name. And I couldn't really believe that you know, I end up winning the competition. It's basically your first big wave competition. You find out you've won. How does that feel? Like, what's going through your mind at that moment? It's a dream because everything that I've been, like, preparing for this whole winter and a whole 18-hour drive up to Oregon, having the mindset, like, I have to advance. Like, this is the one chance that I have to really prove myself to a handful of guys that are really well respected in the big things of the community. And I felt like I could not take advantage of So, to want to win so badly and to finally get your name called to be first place is pretty much put you on cloud nine for a very long time. Still kind of feeling it. So, for someone like that who wins the contest and even the top six guys, I mean, what does it mean for them to get a shot at playing in the big leagues or compete yeah. against some of the top guys in the world? Sure. Yeah. Well, they're obviously really excited about it. You know, it's not just the competition itself. They feed off each other, and I would much rather surf with people that are much better than me than people that are crappier than me because it pushes me. You know what I mean? And I think that's the case with these with these less than pro guys that are coming to qualify in this contest. Case of beer, which was which was cool, but um, pretty much the main winning was to advance to that invitational for a chance to win ten thousand dollars and compete against you know some of the best pro big wave servers in the world and to really like large your stand in that community. They they kind of maxed out. It's really inspiring to have people that are better than you surfing around you because it pushes your own surfing. Are there any moments that will stick with you from the competition or what would you say like if you had to pick what the I don't know the craziest moment from the whole thing was? Uh, so there was a point where I caught you know behind that wave and I felt the rhythm and I started you know from all my years of competitively shoreboarding I knew I got a really good wave I just need to find two more. So once I got that confidence in that one single wave 
So really, yeah, that was the really big turnaround. But if I would have to say the craziest moment was that probably the biggest set of the day came in and everyone was waiting inside him. You go to my website, we have some of the interviews around there. I had a little kid that was doing some cool interviews and one of the athletes describes this cleanup set that got everybody. I mean, everybody was caught inside, probably 30 foot wave. That set was probably about 35 feet. And all of us got caught. And I remember looking out and everyone trying to swim as deep as they can under this full, like, three-story wall of white water. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh crap, this is gonna be like really intense. Uh, kicked the shit out of like 10, 12 guys. And, and out of nowhere, I see a jet coming straight towards me, like one of the, um, the lifeguard jets that she's working in the competition and helping the surfers get in and get out of the break. And he falls over to me, and he screams to me, hop on, hop on, get on. So I climb onto the back of the jet ski as quick as I can without getting my board on it because it's touching my feet. And all I remember is the jet ski off, to be turning around and pretty much like, Six feet away from me was this, you know, 30 foot wall of whitewash and freezing to like engulf them. And I just remember looking back and being like, oh my gosh, I am so close to just getting knocked so hard. But this just literally just saved my life. And we just missed getting hit by the bottom of the five feet. It looked like a yard sale after it went through there was boards and bodies all, all over the place. And that was probably the craziest moment. Yeah, if you can find that on the website, that'll that'll kind of tell you. Wow, man! Well, I'm glad you stayed safe. I'm glad you you had like a great time. It sounds like, and uh, congratulations on the big win. And thanks for checking in with us. And hope you have a safe trip home. Thanks, man. Hopefully, I can come up to Tokyo and get another week long surf trip. Hopefully, I can come up to Tokyo and get another week long surf trip. You're listening to Frequency Horizon on Top Top City Radio. Thanks to Jake. Thanks to the Mel Scott Reese Classic. Founder, it was quite an interesting learning experience to find out about how a big wave contest comes into being. So, yeah, some positive news from the States at a time when a lot of people in Tofino will be scratching their heads about just how well Donald Trump is doing tonight and victory seems almost certain. I mean, given the reporting that I've seen so far. Obviously, don't want to call anything myself. I'm not. I don't. I'm not that good with math. I don't do the number tallies all that well. What I do like to do is pick great music to play for you guys on a frequency horizon. And this one goes out to Milo. Boniver, I should say. Thirty-three. God. Stay for tea. 
Celsian swimsuit cosmic balance. And on that same kind of frequency level, I put the new Bonobo song, Kerala. I say don't try watching this music video unless you're kind of not sick. If you are, I think you're throwing to you a bit more. Might take you out of your elements. Might take a few steps forward, a few steps back. It's pretty choppy, is what I'm trying to get at. But none of that problem if you're listening to this it's a beautiful song and hope it ushers you into the rest of this episode. Which will feature Maxim, the German from last week, is a German guy, and Matt. Super sincere with his approach to broadcasting. And that's why I'm so glad he reached out to us and reached out to Kyle as well. The guy from Montana. Well, if you explain, you understand, I should say, the Trump phenomenon in a new way. After all, Montana. Well, that's a red state. Big red one. Alright, coming up. Enjoy.
Benovo with Kiala. And Benovo maybe a bit. But he's been living in Los Angeles. In the States. Fitting for tonight, although, of course, California was one of the few places. It's still blue on the map. Quite dark blue. One of the darker shades of blue out there. Um, Hillary Clinton currently at 215, 47.1% of the vote. And Donald Trump at 244. This is New York Times reporting. That's 48.3% of the popular vote. And interesting, still not quite at that number. Maybe we need to clinch the nominee, the big win, big kahuna status. But, talking about numbers rising, talking about, you know, as someone that could be seen almost as an anti-Christ type figure, that might be a bit of a stretch for Donald, that might be giving him too much credit. But we have our own situation where numbers are rising, and it's an interesting status currently on the mix of that's where we stream, like it's our mainstream slot, mixlr.com slash top-city-radio, with 26,000. 664 streams. That means by the time I get to the end of the broadcast, it's quite likely that we'll be at 26,666. So many sixes. Such a weird scenario. I think we better play another dark jungle track. It's Annex and Teddy Killers in an IX and Teddy Killers K I L E R Z Jungle. Consumes
pendulum with ulterior motive. And next up we have Shanskan. I think that's how you say it. C-H-A-N-C-V-N. Highlight. And then we're going to get into a little more election coverage. That's nice. Took you to a room and you waited If it does rain from our walls I'm
N C C N all capitals of course if you would expect to highlight Donald Trump known more than anything else for living the high life getting away with certain things that others cannot get away with because of his status and driving this all the way to the White House it looks like we have New York Times saying Trump is closing in on a stunning upset they, they drop their signature comma they're all caps in italic love it now we got two we're still at 244 the electoral college votes the 215 Clinton he didn't get to that 270 number but looking more and more certain that T-R-U-M-P is the one to win but I also wanted to talk about it, uh, something else on the same subject but something I don't hear the commentators talking about and I think this is one of the most significant elements of the campaign at least as far as I'm concerned someone that's on radio someone that's worked in newspapers before and that is that well, we have the polarized left and right. We have an agreement on profits. And what I'm talking about is, for example, CNN making a billion dollars this year. That's right. So, so what do we have? We have audiences galvanized around their candidates wanting the latest information glued to the television. And, and even in Canada, I mean, we're going to you know, suffer or, shall we say, like uh, succeed potentially. You never know. Um, because of the American election, I mean, we are intrinsically tied to our allies. But, you know, we're still Canada. I mean, we, we had like a, a couple months, a few months of coverage when the Canadian election came around. We've had years of American coverage, so. We've actually been helping out the media giants down south, and according to people familiar, this is from a Washington Post article posted October 27th. According to people intimately familiar with CNN's finances, the network and its related media businesses will approach $1 billion in gross profit in 2016, a milestone unseen in its 36-year history. I mean, even if Trump would have lost, everyone behind the scenes would have been patting him on the back. I mean, when you, you got to look at the numbers. That's just a, something I wanted you to think about. Fox News was already in the billion dollar profit club before 2016, but their profit will top 1.67 billion, according to SNL Kagan, a media research company. I'm just gonna let you chew on that for a minute. Do what you will. I mean, this, is, this has been an excruciating process in a lot of ways, but an enjoyable one too in others. I mean, you can't deny it. So let's stick with something a little more positive, and that is a young guy from Germany comes to Casino, and all he wants to do is figure out for our Frequency Horizon audience why Trump has been doing so well. So without further ado, here's our conversation between Maxim Brem and a lovely American citizen who agreed to speak with us. He's Montana. It's the evening of the U.S. election. US election. US election. You, know that. you know that. I know that. I know that. It's a fact that's unescapable. It's unescapable. With even CBC Radio, a stalwart Canadian content provider, delving into U.S. style broadcasting, 
for this momentous occasion. Into the early part of the evening, there was a bit of a surprise. Donald Trump making gains in places that were unexpected. How could this have happened? The CBC radio colleagues seemed to have trouble understanding what was going on. But sometimes you need a true outsider's perspective to really pry open that can of worms and dissect what's really happening. So that's why, so that's it's, why fortunate it's fortunate that we here at the Frequency Horizon had Maxim Brehm, the young German journalist, German journalist, talking to people, including an American, about the rise of Trump. We didn't get a chance to broadcast this interview with Kyle last week, so what better time than tonight? Now Kyle is someone who calls the red, white, and blue his homeland, and he isn't planning on moving if Trump wins. Here we have a nice, in-depth conversation that I think will shine a light on some of the idiosyncrasies of the U.S. elections. Yeah, hello. So tonight we are talking to Kyle from uh, Montana. Montana. Okay, Kyle, American citizen, 30 years old, I think. Correct. Um, one of my first questions is, um, what do you think, or could you tell me three feelings or adjectives if I say Donald J. Trump? Um. If you only know two, no problem. For sure. My first, uh, it's more of a feeling, and that's tired. Yeah. Because we've been having this election for about a year now, and even though we vote in two weeks, I'm exhausted by yeah. it. I'm totally over it. Uh, my second adjective uh, would be total disappointment, because um, something that should be about issues has become about emotions. Um, yeah. And, you know, the thing about emotions is that you can tie a happy or a sad yeah. to anything, and it's not necessarily substantive. Um, and an election, which should be about substance, has been a conversation that's not about that. You know, even all the, sh the bad things that he's done, that's not problems with our country, that's problems with him. Um, and that, honestly, you want your president to have good character but yeah that should be a prerequisite that shouldn't be the conversation we're having two weeks before the election yeah 
one of my like main questions is we are talking about a billionaire and then if you take a closer look on the people that vote for Donald Trump you can see that a lot of people from the middle or underclass voting for Donald Trump how do you how do you explain that because like they live in, in different worlds uh, you're absolutely correct um, I think and it, that's a really deep question part of it is the Republican Party in general has it's the Republican Party is a party for the rich yeah but their base is rural white America and they've pulled that off and it's the same way Donald Trump has pulled it off by basically lying to them by having a political philosophy that says that you know taxes and regulation favors like the and the intelligentsia like the educated rich class uh, when in fact their whole tax break their whole structure is to benefit them yeah um, and so they've gained their their voting base through basically a bunch of lies um, and Donald has just adopted that and then turned it into his own thing. And then the second part is, you know, when he says make America great again, what he really means is make America white again. Yeah. And it's also that a little bit poorer rural uh, population that feels like they're in a bad situation because their country is being taken away from them. And when they mean their country, they mean like white America. Yeah. Um, and I think that's how they do it. It's through, and none of these things are like actually true or based in fact, but it's really easy to uh, propagandize them, if that's even a word. So if we talk about let's make America great again, what's the great America we are talking about? In, the, my, in my opinion or in yeah. Donald's opinion? Uh, probably in both, but I'm asking, do we talk about the 90s? Do we talk about the 80s? Do we... What kind of like age or time of period do we talk about? So for Donald and for the Republicans, it never existed. Uh, yeah. it's, it's an imaginary thing. But I think they think it existed, you know, maybe after World War II when it was a very suburban country. You know, so the after, golden 20s. Yeah, no, yeah. after World War II. So like oh, okay. the, the 50s and 60s. Most oh, yeah. of, I think it's the roaring 50s is what they okay. call it. Um, but in the roaring 50s, we still had segregation. Yeah. Uh, we still had... All sorts of things like that. Um, and I, But I think even more than that, maybe that's what they would point to, but really I think it's an imaginary place that is this... I, they, it's their idea of America, which honestly has never existed. Yeah. What I ask myself about Donald Trump's argumentation or his paroles is that his arguments that should support his paroles are not pretty good or at least there are no arguments you know what i mean yeah like how do you explain that to yourself because as an american citizen i would go crazy about that fact someone is telling me let build let's build a fence to not not let all the hispanics get in our country because they are bringing trucks or whatever mm -hmm. and then there is no supporting argument Correct. For that. So Correct. It it goes back to what I said before that yeah. it's 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 about emotions and not facts. And you don't need to have emotions aren't built upon 
Yeah, facts and logic. Emotions are built upon a feeling, you know, and we're coming out of a pretty bad recession. Yeah. Um, the middle class really has not seen wage growth since about the year 2000. I've crunched the data myself. Yeah. Um, we are having really rising, increasing income inequality. Um, yeah. More and more of the, the capital, the wealth in our country is going to the upper class. Um, and so they have, you know, I say they, I mean, it's, it's most of the country, the middle, middle class, like it hasn't been great for a while. Yeah. And so that gives them an emotion of yeah. feeling of, of, of not feeling great. And it is hard. Um, and so all of this make America great again, let's build a wall. You're absolutely correct that there's not a logical argument behind it. It's really easy. That's what's really hard because it's really yeah. easy to tear apart their argument. But it's it's also really hard. Sorry, it's really easy to tear apart their argument. But it's really hard to take that emotion away from people when they feel yeah. that strongly. And people like Donald and Fox News and the general Republican Party, they will just say something. They'll just. It's really easy to blame someone, right? It's really yeah. easy to blame the Hispanics. To be against exactly. something. Yeah. And then all you need is for people to get riled up yeah. and have... To have a slogan, a rallying cry. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's like a loss of the scientific method. It's a loss of like, people don't, a lot of people don't think for themselves, you know? And yeah. so they just, you kind of tell them one thing and it's, it's, it's really sad. It's not about arguments. It's about a feeling and it's, people are yeah. taking, people are taking people's emotions and using them for their own, yeah. for their own interests. It's not like you, America is just a bunch of stupid people that like uh, racism and whatever. You have a lot of like super smart people, a lot of good universities. How do you explain to yourself that for a pretty long time, every everybody, a lot of journalists, a lot of politicians underestimated the power of Donald Trump and right now they're staying in front of... Um, Let us say this whole building he built up over uh, the last last month. Man, it's so complicated. Um, so I think it, it comes down to the structure of our elections. Uh, because to win an election in America, there's two parties. Um, so first you have to win the primaries. And that's, that's an election battle within your own party. Yeah. And... Uh, the people who vote in primaries yeah. are the more extreme people. They're on the more, the far end of whatever spectrum, you know, they're on. So, and it, it happens in every election to win the primary, you hold more extreme views. And then to win the general election, you go back to the middle. Yeah. Um, Donald on the Republican side was fighting the primaries against like six other people. So to win a primary against six other people, if you have more than 20% of the vote, you're going to win. And so it's the loudest, most extreme people who win the primaries. And that's how Donald won the primary was he basically kept holding that 20%. Um, and so that, that won him that. And then because it's a two party system, if you're a Republican, you basically have to jump on board. So then everyone else like jumped onto his bandwagon and then they just, it's almost like they get stuck And most politicians go back to the center. That's normal, but Donald's not a politician. So he just kept yeah. doing the same thing. Um, 
And so a lot of these people, uh, they feel stuck because they they don't identify mm-hmm. with the other side either. And so it's it's almost like a lessers of two evil argument. Um, I, I think that's part of it. The, the, the second thing I would say is that Donald uh, is really good at garnering media attention. Um, and media attention yeah. is, is basically free advertising. Um, and I read somewhere that he's gotten the equivalent of like billions of dollars worth of free advertising. Um, and it, the coverage that he garnered, yeah, you know, on television or in the newspapers was like 10 times the amount of his opponents. Um, and like it or not, that also gets you votes and, you know, yeah. just cause like the, the spotlight's kind of on you. So yeah, he's all the time, yeah. you know, if, if he's. You know, I mean, I'm sure in some way maybe he's a smart guy, but that's probably the smartest thing that he has is his ability to just grab the spotlight. Yeah. Uh, and that showed something that's really wrong with both our media and also our, our elect, our, like the way we elect people, our political mm. system. Do you know what was going on in, that, in Atlantic City back in the days with the Trump uh, hotels and casinos? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like... He built um, three uh, casinos over there, and um, the plaza went mm-hmm. bankrupt. Mm-hmm. The Taj Mahal is still alive, but they have uh, one cent slot machines in there. I think that says a lot about like the uh, yeah, condition absolutely. the Taj Mahal is in right now. And then we have the marina that is sold uh, shortly before bankrupt. It's probably an easy question for a guy like you, but do you think it's a great idea to give a guy like that that uh, like ruined Atlantic City and a lot of jobs with a steamroller of bundless uh, med- megalomania, yeah. um, give him the like the opportunity to decide over uh, 320 million Americans? No, I think it's like, a... Sorry. Yeah, you all you all have like your finance problems, and you know what I mean. And an American president can change a lot, and if they kind of can, yeah. Um, but no, I think it's a horrible idea. Yeah. Um, Donald himself. So when all those when those casinos went bankrupt, yeah. Donald himself actually made money. Yeah. He bankrupt. He he lost all of like the uh, like all of the shareholders. All the people bought into it. They all lost yeah. money, but he made money. And you know what he says? He says, "I came out ahead. Didn't yeah. affect me." Uh, that's what he would do to our country, man. He even said, "Like I bet I can be the only person in history to make money uh, in an election, like running for president. I bet I can make money." Mm. Uh, he's all about himself, you know. So a pretty selfish person. Absolutely. Okay. Um, obviously Donald Trump has a racism problem and, um, I looked it up on the internet, so you could correct me if that's wrong. We have, uh, 12.55% Hispanics in America and 12.32 black people in America. That's combined 80 million people. Mm -hmm. That's the whole population of Germany. (laughs) So... He's like making fun of them, uh, making racist jokes, and um, like he's pretty um, offended. Correct. So, even a politician in Germany would say to 80 million people, and it's a bunch of people, mm-hmm. like, 
we want to build a fence because we don't want to have more of you over here or mm -hmm. whatever you're taking away our jobs we had that in germany back in the days when uh, the nazis were ruling germany so yeah it kind of scares me what's your feeling about that like all the blacks and the hispanics they're for me they're part of your society no they absolutely are yeah let's a, let's not forget that he's probably going to lose. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think he's polling 99%. Uh, his polling numbers for, for, for African-Americans is 99% yeah. against him. His I don't know the numbers for Hispanics, but it's super high against him. Uh, and he, like you said, there's 80 million um, of yeah. just those two demographics, not to mention our Muslim-American population. Um yeah. That's part of the reason he's most likely going to lose is because all those he alienated himself against those people, yeah. and those people weren't voting in his primaries because they were probably mostly voting on the Democratic side, anyways. Yeah. Um, but it's also scary that what is scary is that the twenty percent that kept voting for him in the primaries hold those racist views, and that's what they want. Um, and that's actually what's scarier to me. Like Donald is just one man, but what's scary is. Uh, the latent and inherent racism that we have in America, he brought, uh, he brought to, like, he, he made it visible, right? Mm. Um, and it's scary that it's still there and that it's still like that. And part of this whole Make America Great Again, uh, is that those numbers are growing. Um, and I think that the racist part of America is afraid of those numbers growing. They're afraid that it's not going to be a, a white Christian male dominated society anymore. Yeah. And, but you know what? On the bright side, I think that those people are older. Yeah. They're less educated. And on average, yeah, they're dying because they're older. And on average, our population is becoming more educated, more diverse. And that gives me hope for the future. Okay. My like my last question is: You're not Canadian, but I'm still interested in your opinion. We have an, uh, Mr. Trudeau on the one side in Canada, a Liberal Party, and then we hopefully not have Mr. Trump, uh, mm -hmm. part of the Republican Party, pretty right-winged opinion. So, do you think there will be in the next four years any problems? between Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Trump or in the relationship yeah. between them or uh, between Canada and America? Yeah, there probably would be. Um, you know, as an American, Canada's our biggest trading partner uh, for the most part, I believe. I don't know that that relationship would, ne would necessarily be hurt by that. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I don't know if it would like if it would I don't know what would hurt us because I don't know yeah. you know we trade a lot with Canada we're obviously really close neighbors we have a super open border yeah I don't know that any of that would change um but things that I care about you know is like Trudeau is pretty is more pro environmental than his than his predecessor um and so I'm you know what I was excited about are you know our opportunities for Uh, yeah. collaboration across the border in terms of um, environmental policies, oil pipelines, and all that stuff. Um, and if we could work together on, 
you know, clean energy technologies, if we could, I see that as like a great opportunity uh, mm. to work together on conservation, to work together on, um, you know, protecting wilderness. And uh, I see Trump shooting down any possibility of that, I guess. Yeah. So uh, for the stuff that I, you know, I'm a little bit more keyed into, I mean, Trump would mess up America in all those realms anyways, but it would also mess up our opportunity to work with our northern neighbors to kind of work together to build a, you know, to build a better place, to have a carbon tax like they have in British Columbia or, you know, to really kind of kill this Keystone oil pipeline or, you know, to do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, after all this hard politician um, talk... I want to have some fun with you. Um, there's a picture you can see that right now. You're German, if you can pronounce Tschechische Chefchemiker auf griechisch-chinesischen Passagierschiffen. Did you hear of the German or sh? No. No? You want to try to say that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It starts there. Yeah. Tschechische Chefchemiker auf griechisch China Shishin passing Girshifin. Great, thank you. <laughs> Big thanks again to Maxim for that interview. And for Kyle sharing a little bit about his views on what's been going on south of the border. Currently, Startup Tom has Trump at 264. The 270 electoral college votes that he would need to win is Clinton at 215. We got a couple more tracks to play here, and then DJ Zoiko is going to drop his worst and his best, as he always does, getting dark down and dirty at the same time with that same vibe, the mala, the, that kind of stuff. And, and in fact, we, we actually dropped some news on our Frequency Horizon website today. Within the last 24 hours, I should say, about Mala actually being one of the headliners at a music festival about to go on in Costa Rica in February. Check it out. FrequencyHorizon.com. There's lots of other stuff going on in the blog there. Here we have a verse of with Night Sky.
New Times has a new headline. Trump is on the verge of a stunning upset with the subhead win in Pennsylvania, all but a shared victory. Thanks for riding out tonight with us here on the Frequency Horizon. If you like what you hear, go to FrequencyHorizon.com. Pick up the latest posts. Go to iTunes. Go to Google Play. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends to be sweet. Next up, we got tonight here on the Tough City Radio dial. She's Joyko. But as heavy as a cloud hangs on, on many of you progressives out there here in the north, let's remember the fire that we have. It's a new track from Camel Crooked. It's Ember. Something hopeful on it. We're always looking for something more. We may not get the full results until tomorrow, not just with the election, but important things for each of our lives. So I'll leave you with this now. This is the frequency.